All right, uh, there we go. Um, so we're going to spend some time today thinking specifically about uh, the next few assignments with your paper, uh, WP 8, 9, and 10, uh, which uh, do come due in fast succession after spring break. Uh, so the Tuesday after spring break is WP 8, uh, WP 9 is the Thursday after spring break, and then WP 10 is the following uh, Tuesday. And so yeah, first, I, I just want to talk a little bit about when you're doing the research and writing process of a paper, uh, what are some common things to feel or think? Overwhelmed? What did you say? I'm going to die. What else? Excitement. Excitement? Okay. <laughs> I guess that's the right answer. What's that? Okay, yeah, I want to get to I say. I want to say what I think, right? Why do we got to research all these sources? Um, don't know where to start. Too much or not enough information? I really wish you would have assigned annotated bibliography. I really wish. More annotated bibliographies. People love those. Um, I, don't, I, don't, right? I don't know where to start. I don't know what I'm doing. Why did I pick this topic? Right? <laughs> Who am I? Why am I here? <laughs> um, do I actually want to graduate? Um, we start, I mean, I start catastrophizing. Right? I'm not going to get this done. This paper isn't going to work. I'm not going to pass this class. I'm not going to graduate. My life is over. Yes. <laughs> uh, right? So right, if my life is over, why even bother with like, reading this book I'm supposed to be looking at in front of me? Um, and so part of what I want to emphasize is that it's normal to feel overwhelmed. It's normal to feel like I don't know where to start. It's normal to feel like I'm insufficient. I can't do this. Um, those are all normal parts of the research and writing process. Uh, and I will guarantee you that if you ask uh, any professor here, right, who most of us have written dissertations or things like that that are pretty substantial, they'll tell you the same thing. And so if you think that somehow, you know, being a professor means you magically sit down and just write and it's a breeze and you never think, what am I doing? Or you think, like, I'm an imposter. Why would anybody listen to me? Or there's too much information. Like, this, this doesn't even make sense. What am I doing? Um, that's normal. And so I just want to make sure uh, that, and I've had that re-emphasized to me because I've been trying to write more in the last about six weeks. I'm actually trying to work on writing a book. And so I've been spending a good time out in the library. And some days you're like, yeah, this is going good. Right? Right? <laughs> Just sitting there typing like this, your head, head going like this, yeah, right in the library. <laughs> like, uh, but then most days it's like, what the heck? I don't, where, where, where was I? What's the next thing I'm supposed to say? Does this even make any sense? Right? Zwart! Right? I do that too. <laughs> right. Right. Like, please look at this and tell me what, like, what is happening. Um, and so I just, I, I just say all that to, to keep in front of us that. 
you know, this is not an easy process, but also to know this is normal. And I think, I think to recognize that it's normal is a key part in actually writing well. Um, just, I mean, an analogy I think about is, this is why I love talking with other parents. Because if, if I only like, am in my own head and thinking about my own parenting, it's like, wow, I suck, what is going on? I have no clue what I'm doing. And then you talk to other parents and you're like, wow, none of us know what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> right, this is great, it's actually, it's actually normal to be like, what is wrong with my children, right? Why do they act this way? Total depravity. Uh, what's, <laughs> <laughs> what's involved in all of this? And so it's the more that we can say, hey, you know what? It is a struggle, but it's a normal struggle. Uh, to me, that helps me a lot. And so, so I hope uh, that it helps you as, you as you think about this process too. Um, and so today we want to talk a little bit about, again, to frame for ourselves, to help ourselves make sure we're clear on what we're doing in the paper, and then to think about, especially these next three steps, WP 8, 9, and 10, which is actually the beginning of your first draft. Uh, and so I've tried to construct all these assignments along the way so that they feed into each other. Again, rather than having a whole paper just do at the end, uh, we're chipping away at these things. And so with WP 8, really, you are starting to write your first draft. Um, but let's remind ourselves what we're doing. You have chosen a significant topic you care about. And sometimes when you're in the middle of something, you're, it's good to step back and say, I do care about this, hopefully. If not, it's a one semester, okay? So you're stuck, you have to pl plow through. Uh, but when you're in the midst of something, and especially because it's work, and so even if it's something that you do care about, sometimes it's like, man, I'm tired of reading about this. Right? I'm kind of sick of this. It's important to step back and say, this is important. This is worth engaging. And it's normal, again, it's normal that it is work to engage a topic you care about. Right? It's, it's, in some ways, it's a lot more fun to just have an uneducated opinion about a topic you care about. <laughs> right? It's like, well, that's nice. I don't have to do any work. I can just have an opinion and uh, run with it. Uh, but we're trying to actually dig into this in a, in a deeper way. Uh, and that what you have done up to this point in the semester is really to work hard to listen to what others say, to recognize that uh, you are not the first person to care about this, but you're entering into a broader conversation uh, and that there are many voices that you need to listen to uh, in order to, uh, in essence, speak with your own voice. Uh, and so as you engage the conversation, the goal is to clearly and charitably convey what others are saying. And so, all throughout this, um, I think it's, it's worth remembering back to early on in the semester when we talked about the intellectual virtues, uh, virtues like intellectual humility, intellectual carefulness, intellectual fair-mindedness, that as you listen to others speak to these topics, uh, you want to be sure uh, that you are doing your best to clearly and charitably convey what other people are saying in this conversation. And within that context, of course, it's okay to have differences of viewpoint. It's okay to give different reasons for holding different positions, but it is important that you be clear and charitable uh, with how you're going to represent the viewpoints uh, of others. And so in doing this, you know, today I had you look at uh, They Say, I Say, uh, which again, uh, this book, uh, you, should, you should keep this book. You should put it next to your Bible. You should have your, should have your they say, I say devotions. 
Um, right? Tyler. <laughs> this really spoke to my heart. Um, Gerald and Kathy Calling. Could somebody write a devotional? Gerald, I'm, I'm like a Jesus Calling book. I don't know. Um, maybe that's taking it too far. Uh, but this, this book is extremely helpful uh, because it gets at key, uh, I, I don't know that I would call them, maybe tools is not even the best way to think about it. Uh, it's more habits or, or disciplines. And so what I want you to see is that uh, writing, think about it this way, Ri- think about writing as actually a, a spiritual discipline or at least a, even kind of an intellectual discipline uh, that takes, it takes work. Uh, writing is not easy. Um, at, at least the kind of writing that we're trying to do, where we're engaging a topic, where we want to think about how to do this in a clear, organized way, where we want to talk about a deep issue, but we want to talk about it clearly, charitably, and fairly. Um, that is... I would say, an intellectual discipline. Clear writing and clear thinking are linked together. Uh, and I think, at least this, is, this has been definitely impressed on me the last four weeks as I've tried to do much more writing than I usually do during the middle of the semester. Uh, you oftentimes don't fully know what you think until you take the time to write it. And to struggle with writing it, to say, this doesn't quite feel right, I'm not sure this is accurate, but the work of writing is the work of thinking and processing something in a way that uh, is, I think, unique to writing. It's different than just orally sharing your viewpoint with somebody. Uh, And so I think this is an important habit, an important skill uh, to cultivate. And so as you do this, there are really you know, four big overarching things that they talk about in the sections today that I just want to highlight. The first is clearly articulating your own position and reasons behind it. Uh, And so when we think about the the task here, uh, again, this is where I think oftentimes in in conversation we are used to um, kind of saying what we think and talking about it, and that's all helpful and good, uh, but oftentimes it is when you're forced to write something down that you're forced to be as clear and precise as possible. Where exactly do you agree with somebody? Where exactly do you disagree? What exactly are you saying? And what are the key reasons uh, for what you're saying? Uh, This is going to be crucial as we talk about uh, your your thesis statement in a few minutes. Um, Your paper has to have uh, a thesis. It has to say, here is my position on something because that is what frames your entire paper. So you want to be able to clearly articulate your own position and reasons. Uh, second, again, it it's, uh, might seem fairly basic, but as you walk through your paper, you are engaging with many different thinkers, or you should be engaging with different thinkers. And so one of the key writing tools that you need is to make sure that it's clear who is speaking. Are you representing your own viewpoint? Is it the viewpoint of somebody else? Uh, Are you bringing scholar A and B into conversation, kind of hearing what they say to each other? Uh, So a key task of writing is to make sure as uh, you're putting this together uh, that you are clear about who is speaking. Uh, That's going to be significant because this is your part of what you're doing, again, is representing a conversation 
and bringing your own voice into that conversation. Uh, and so that's, uh, that's crucial. Uh, third point that, uh, and this one maybe is, I don't know which of these is most difficult, but I think this one is, it's got to be up there. Considering objections to your viewpoint. In other words, uh, thinking about what are some of the very good reasons that people might disagree with the viewpoint that I'm putting forth here. Uh, and this, I think, is a, to me, this is, one of, again, one of the top intellectual virtues, this kind of fair-mindedness, because, especially in our broader cultural discourse today, it's pretty common to say, anybody who disagrees with me is just stupid. Don't put that in your paper. <laughs> That's not going to work. Um, but so this is the difficult piece. I think we want to say that because it's much harder to say, hey, there are people who really disagree with me who have a really, actually pretty strong case for the point they're making. Right? We want to be like, well, obviously everyone who thinks like I do thinks that way because all the overwhelming evidence is on that side. Nobody could possibly think different except people who just are clueless or stupid or maybe evil or ignorant. Right? Don't put any of that in your paper. <laughs> right? That's not what we're going for. How do you consider real objections, weighty objections, to your uh, particular argument? Yeah? Do you ever find that papers are sometimes like, too fair-minded? Like, they kind of like, they like have an opinion, but it's like kind of like agreeing with both of them? And yeah. Almost like they're too fair-minded, like, they're both right. Like, yeah. And I would say, yeah, because this is, this is kind of how I see that working out in our framework. Um, a lot of times we think, you know, our view is right. Nobody could possibly think different. Then we're exposed to people who think really well and really carefully, and they do think different. And then we're like, well, here are these two viewpoints, and they're both really good. Um, there is a level of fair-mindedness in that, but I think what that's lacking often is actually the intellectual courage to say, yes, there are strong views on both sides, but again, not on every topic, but on some topics, you do have to land somewhere. Like sometimes there are things that are mutually exclusive. These can't both be true. And so um, I, I think it is important to both consider objections, but, and again, depending on what your thesis is, some people have, you know, we'll put together a thesis that kind of navigates some things. But again, some things are mutually exclusive. And so to think about how that looks, uh, I think, is important. But yeah, that's a good, that, that's a good observation. It's, the, it's like I'm in college and I suddenly realize like, there are a lot of good viewpoints out there. From a lot of, like, I found two books from the Zondervan Library and they're opposing each other. Which one is right? Uh, right? Uh, well, you got to weigh, weigh them. Uh, and then uh, finally, saying who cares and why. This is always a, an important uh, thing to keep in our minds as I'm digging into a topic to ask myself the question, so what? So what? Not in a bad way, not to try to like, destabilize my whole process. So, so what? Nobody cares about what I'm doing. But to ask, who does care about this and why? Why does this matter? Um, that's important, I think, to have in front of you as, as you go through this. And to me, again, it... it it helps to keep this question in front of you because then when you're submerged in the research and you're like, uh, research, uh, writing, it's important to come back up and say, this topic actually does matter. It is of significance. Um, 
And to keep that in front of you, I think, helps you keep going uh, when, when things get a little bit rough. Uh, so let me talk for just a few minutes about these, these three assignments, and then we'll dig into them uh, in a little bit more detail. Uh, I see these assignments, again, as I said, and I just want to emphasize this because this doesn't happen very often, but every once in a while, people will write these and for whatever reason, not realize that they're actually writing the first draft of your paper. Okay, so this is, you're starting the draft of your paper with these assignments. And so WP8 is introducing the question, saying why it matters. And so, you know, this, again, if you're, if you need to go back, even after spring break, refresh yourself a little bit on the chapter on this and they say, I say, part of what you want to do in this is to take one, I would say one, probably not more than one, um, but again, I'm making generalizations here, so if you can make a good case that it should be more. But, but to take one paragraph and really introduce your topic, introduce your quest. Uh, and I would say, again, I, I try to give kind of specific advice. This isn't the case in every class or in every paper, but I do think in general, a good introduction paragraph simply introduces the topic. So you're not talking about what different authors say. You're not talking about your own viewpoint yet. Um, and in fact, oftentimes a helpful introduction strategy is to ask questions. And so just to say, here's the topic. Um, here are questions people have. How do we think about these questions, this topic in our context today? So you are really trying to just establish uh, clarity around what the topic is, not answering all the questions, but clarity around what exactly is the, uh, are the questions that you're asking and why does this matter? Why is it significant uh, to engage this? And so that's why, again, I would say in general, just focus on the topic and ask yourself those, those questions of uh, so what, who cares, why does this matter? What are the key questions that people are asking around this particular topic as, as you set that up? Uh, the second part of this then um, I, I, I call this lit review in a nutshell, or the lay of the land, that's my more informal way of thinking about this, is to say you, you introduce the topic and then you want to spend um, maybe one to two paragraphs uh, thinking about uh, or helping the reader understand here's the lay of the land, here are the different voices in the conversation uh, representing different positions or, or angles on this particular topic. Uh, and so just to give you an example of this, uh, this is actually in, I think it's in the instructions. Uh, so here's an example uh, from a, uh, a student paper probably about uh, eight years ago uh, on the topic of hacktivism, which I didn't know really anything about until I read it. Um, but th this is an example of this. So in, 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 her in the first paragraph, uh, she had outlined, here's what hacktivism is, just explain it a little bit. And then you know, many scholars, politicians, lawyers, and journalists offer a defense of hacktivism. These include, and actually lists the name, they defend hacktivism by discussing positive changes that have happened due to groups uh, such as Anonymous and Lulzsec asserting that these groups tend to fight for just causes and seek to give freedom of speech and expression for all people. They also argue that the way hacktivists protest is no different from any other form of protesting. It just comes in a different form, and because of its difference, it appears more threatening. 
The argument against hacktivism is presented by scholars and journalists such as Robert Strohmeyer, Sandra uh, Leonard, and Neil J. Morse, who oppose hacktivism for its tendency to be hypocritical in the way they achieve the goals. They claim they want freedom for the oppressed, yet they oppress other human beings as they pursue their goals. They argue that the disclosure of information that hacktivists hand out can endanger the lives of innocent people connected to the company or government they're trying to expose. Those in opposition will also argue that hacktivists are nothing more than cyber bullies who harass whoever they believe is committing an injustice. This is a good example of a literature review in a nutshell. It helps you uh, and me as we're reading this. We have a basic lay of the land. Here are some scholars that specifically names names. Here are some scholars that defend hacktivism. And here are, and I think this is really helpful, just two, maybe three sentences that kind of summarize what are, what are the main reasons. Uh, what you don't want to do here, which sometimes happens, is fully dive into and explain all those reasons. This can all be unpacked in much greater detail in the body of the paper, but you're helping the reader understand some people defend hacktivism, and here are a couple main reasons why. Other people uh, are against hacktivism, and here are, again, are two or three sentences saying core reasons that people are against this. That again, all of this will be unpacked and explained uh, in more detail as uh, the paper goes on. And so again, this is, this is so important because in the first part, you're simply raising the topic. Uh, in these next one to two sentences, uh, you are helping people to understand what the conversation is. And so I think about this, um, you know, it's almost like if, if you, know, you grab lunch down the dining hall, you come to a table where people are in the throes of some deep discussion about, you know, I don't know, the latest Star Wars movie. And, it, you know, and you're like, okay, I'm sitting down here. And you're like, okay, okay, I'm glad you're eating lunch with us. Let me explain. Um, it, here, here's why uh, Professor Zwart and Sarah Beam are like, you must love Star Wars no matter what. Here's, right, here's why other people are like, wow, uh, everything except the original trilogy stinks. Uh, and here are kind of the main reasons why. Right, so it's, a, it's, it's that kind of orientation that says, okay, I'm jumping into, your reader is jumping into this topic. Give them a basic orientation. You don't have to give them all the details, but help them understand, here's how the conversation looks at this point. Let me stop there for a second. Questions or comments either about WP8 or WP9, what I'm asking you to do here. Yep. Yeah, and so in, in one sense, WP 8, 9, and 10 are all kind of setting the table for the body of the paper, um, but, but uh, by, by building on it this way, I think it, I think it works, hopefully, uh, a little bit better. Yeah, Kenton. Okay. A lot of the arguments against are highly opinionated and more just like anti or angry rants mm. um, about situations that they've experienced or witnessed to do with my topic. Yeah. Swearing. <laughs> like, like one of the examples that I was thinking about using was this guy, he um, saw a kid in church one day wearing a shirt that had some swear words on it and he was just ranting about how that experience was just like that you can't do that in church but he didn't like provide any solid reasonings as to why yeah besides you just can't 
chapter seven of the stuff of thought by Stephen Pinker. Yeah, I read that. I've been reading that. Yeah, of that book. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I think uh, there are a couple of things there. One, um, it, it may be the case in a situation like that where you have to try to do your best to kind of fill out this, maybe, it's, maybe a source kind of poorly argues for something, but for you to actually put yourself in that position and say, why is it right, that even this person maybe can't fully articulate why this seemed wrong? What are some reasons? And so in that sense, um, you're kind of saying this, this source takes this position but doesn't really fill it out, but here are some of the reasons that I would sort of fill that out if you think about how would somebody argue for that um, if, you're, if you're looking at it that way. So that's, that's one possible way to, to think about what that would look like. Uh, again, even if it's not a position that you yourself would hold, to try to think through what is kind of the best possible argument uh, for this person's poorly argued instinct that this is wrong. So that... And that's a, again, that's a whole other kind of intellectual discipline in itself to say, here's, a per, here's kind of a bad argument, but how would you make it better to really strengthen your, your overall paper, even if it's a position you ultimately disagree with? Yeah. One of the things I found in, in my research for this and my research for the Capstone Project for interdisciplinary was like, I think you even said it in the beginning of class, was like, take the sources that you find at first and then read their bibliography. Yeah. And then sources Yeah. 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 That's that's true. If you if you can find a good couple good references, couple good footnotes, couple good quotes, then you can follow that to well, where they got that from, and things just kind of multiply from there. Um, so again, part, part of what makes this a little bit tricky is this, this paper is a pretty clear pro and con, for and against. Not every single topic is like that. And so that's okay if your topic is not like this. I'm not saying you must force it into this clear kind of pro-con uh, way of setting it up. But what you should do is think about this as an orientation to the conversation. What is most crucial so that your reader can know here are the key voices, and again, na- it's fine to name names. In fact, I think it's better to name names up front. Of here are the scholars, uh, the different thinkers that I'm reading, and here's the lay of the land in terms of what they bring to the debate. So then, once you dig into the body, and you're just you know a, a key part, right? The, the majority of the body of your paper is explaining different views of people and setting those up in a in a well organized, uh, thoughtful way. Uh, then it's like, okay, the reader has something to attach. Say, okay, I already kind of know where this person is coming from, what their main focus is uh, as, they, as they look at that. Uh, so WP10, here I stand. Uh, so I can go Martin Luther on everybody. Um, this, uh, this is where you actually get to... Uh, the I say. You've got they say, they say, uh, and I think this kind of paragraph, this kind of setup, right, again, if you can possibly hold off, the danger is, you know, you want to get to write what you think right off the bat. Uh, we often want to say, here it is. But I think your, your paper flows better if you say, here's the topic, here's the conversation, 
here's my particular perspective because as they point out and they say I say a lot of times it's only after you really introduce what is the debate what is the conversation that people are like oh now I understand why what you're saying is interesting and worth listening to because you are taking a specific position in the midst of this much broader debate rather than somebody just I mean Somebody coming up to my kids who have no real knowledge of Star Wars and being like, well, I think Star Wars, you know, only the original trilogy really matters. Be like, well, I have no knowledge about Star Wars, so why do I even care about that? Right? You need some kind of background knowledge. You know, there's a conversation, there's a debate, uh, so that I can really understand the significance of what somebody is saying here. Uh, and then I, I think about the rest of this particular paragraph as a kind of roadmap of your paper. Uh, so that you can say, here's, here's what I hold. Uh, now, as this paper unfolds, think about it this way. Here are the three or four main steps that I'm going to take to make my case. Uh, and so this is helpful in, in a paper of this length to have up front uh, to serve, again, as a kind of roadmap. And I think about this back in the... Back in the olden days, before Google Maps, et cetera, this was how you actually gave people driving instructions. I don't know if anybody does this anymore. And a map question. <laughs> map question. Yes. Here, here's a fun fact. This, this, I, I love that my wife is like stuck in whatever, 2004. Uh, when she still uses as a verb, MapQuest. She's like, did you MapQuest that? Like, yeah. It's like flashback to college, like I map quested it and printed it out. Oh no, the print, right, there it is. Um, ah, good old days. Uh, but even before, before those days, the way you would give people instructions, uh, you know, I would tell people, you know, if I were telling people to come to my house, it's like, okay, uh, go down to Nap, where you see the big Meyer store, then hang a right, right? When you see the Meyer store, you'll know, turn right. Go through four lights, you're going to go over the highway, you're going to go through, you know, eventually you'll come to a four-way stop, two streets past that, you turn left, and you kind of give people markers. All right. <laughs> yeah, let's see. <laughs> we've decoded. We've got it. We've got it. It's, it's somewhere. We plotted it somewhere in this dimension. Um, but what you're doing is, so as your reader goes through this, it, it's helpful. And, and again, once you're aware of this yourself as a writer, you start to recognize authors who do this better or worse, who will tell you, here are the key markers, here are the key things, the steps that I'm going to take, so that at any point in the paper, the reader can be like, where am I at? Okay, yes, I'm within, right, I'm here. I'm still within step one, where the author's doing this, or step two, where they're going to do this. So, you know, something like, and a lot of times what you're gonna do is, as you say, here's my thesis, to you know, fully support this thesis, you know, probably the, one of the first things you're going to do is explain and unpack some of the different perspectives within uh, these different authors that you've read in order to make your own case. Uh, so, again, what you're bringing to the paper is not just all your own original material. A good chunk of what you're doing is simply putting together the information that you have researched and studied in a helpful, clear, logical way that ultimately supports uh, your thesis. And again, it's normal while you're writing a paper uh, to feel like, I don't know where I am. Could someone give me a roadmap? <laughs> right, what's, what am I trying to say? That's, that's okay. Uh, and so, and that's also why 
uh, I would expect that even after you write these first parts, these first couple pages, WP8, 9, and 10, as you get into writing the body of your paper, it may be the case that you come back to these and revise these further. Right? That's okay. In fact, I would highly suggest, I mean, usually, um, the introduction, may, may, your introduction is clearest when you write it last because it's when you've kind of written everything else and brought it all together that you're like, again, that's what I'm trying to do. This is what I'm trying to say. Um, so expect that as, as normal. Uh, so a few points of logistics. Here's what we're doing for WP8 through WP12. Create and share a Google Doc with myself and Ali Roll, who is my TA, so that we can look uh, on that and give you feedback through that. Uh, okay, so you do not have to submit anything to Sakai, but your, these assignments do, they are due by the regular times on Sakai. So WP8 is due by Tuesday morning when you come to class. That should be on the Google Doc. You should have shared that with me and Allie by that point so that we can see that. Uh, and give you feedback through that. That way I can make comments and give you feedback uh, through that mechanism. Uh, I think it's much easier than you uploading a Word doc or a PDF and trying to give feedback through that. Uh, and so we'll use Google Docs for the rest of the semester, for the rest of these assignments um, as we move ahead on this. Uh, again, you don't have to upload this to Sakai. Make sure it's done by the due date and time. And again, these are the first pages of your draft. I just say this because every once in a while, I'll have a student who submits their final draft, and I'm like, where did your introduction and all this stuff go? And they're like, oh, you mean that was supposed to be part of the paper? I'm like, I'm trying to help. I'm really trying to help. <laughs> uh, so just to keep that, keep that in mind. Um, so as we think a little bit about uh, your topic, I want to take just a couple of minutes and let you get some feedback from... Uh, other people around you. Uh, and so I, I want you to share with those sitting close to you, again, groups of maybe two or three, uh, four, what is your issue? So I want you to tell somebody else here, <laughs> what's your issue? <laughs> right? so I was like the sign in the library of like the person holding up a sign that's like, we have issues. I'm like, how am I supposed to interpret that? Um, uh, <laughs> it's always... <laughs> So what, what is your issue slash topic? Um, and here's what I want you to do. Hear feedback from other people. When I hear somebody else's topic, I need to say, here's why I think that matters. And here's who I think might care about it. Uh, just to, again, help ourselves, remind ourselves of uh, the answers to some of these, some of these questions. Um, if you have your book, there are some templates that are helpful. If, if not, um, you don't have to worry about it. Just ask. Uh, those questions. And then also, just as best you can conversationally, just share a little bit about um, the lay of the land, the conversation. What are different people saying? Again, this is just to kind of give yourself some practice to verbally say, well, here's what I'm hearing from other authors. Uh, and so uh, let's take about um, eight to ten minutes uh, to do this, uh, to get some feedback from others. Uh, and even as, we, as you have these conversations, feel free to take notes to yourself. What I'm, what I'm really telling you to do right now is go ahead and start on WP8 and 9 conversationally as you think about these things uh, and interact with each other. Clear? Any questions about what I'm asking you to do? Clear. 
What's your issue? What's your issue? Um, all right, go for it. All right, uh, let's bring back together uh, and think just a little bit more about thesis writing. Sounds like a lot of good conversation. Hopefully it's good fodder for you as you think about uh, setting up your, your introduction in the first, first few paragraphs there. Um, when you think about the, the process of thesis writing, first I just want to note, uh, you know, this is, and they say, I say, uh, they highlight the fact that when you set forth what a different author thinks, uh, they say there are basically three options. Yes, you can agree with them. Uh, no. Uh, or the kind of more nuanced view, yes, I agree with this, but I disagree with that. Or no, I disagree with that, but yes, I still agree with this. And I, I think you know, part of the point that I want to emphasize is as you think about your own position in this conversation, um, it's okay to look at this. Again, I'm thinking about it more in kind of a pro-con. It's okay to look at it and say, here are two basic sides, and essentially my own position is that I agree with you know, side one versus side two. Uh, it's okay to, so in other words, you don't have to come up with a position that nobody's ever held before on the topic. It's okay to say, here's the lay of the land, here's the position that I'm articulating. It's also okay to, to look at a topic and, uh, and, and come up in some sense with a thesis that maybe articulates a kind of third way that says, here's what I think, here's the strength of this position, here's the strength of that position, and I think that there is a way to actually put those together in a way that is coherent and that works uh, and that, that makes sense. Um, but it's important as you think about this that this is not just for your thesis statement, but even as you walk through... Uh, maybe some of the sub-reasons or the sub-points of your paper, uh, that what you're doing is continuing the dialogue with these different conversation partners, and you want to be clear about um, engaging what they're saying and communicating whether you agree or disagree and why, because all of those pieces flow into making your overarching uh, argument as you, think about, uh, as you think about your particular paper. Um, but let's talk for just a couple of minutes about your actual thesis statement, which uh, I think I say, I, I know I say this in the instructions. Uh, I actually uh, want you to put your thesis statement in bold, partly so that you know what your thesis statement is and that you have a thesis statement, um, <coughs> and partly so that I know what it is. Uh, and this, this is important because your thesis explains what you're doing with all the other words in your paper. What are you doing with all these words? A paper without a thesis statement is a lot of information, but I don't know what are you doing with this information. Your thesis statement says, here's how all of this fits together. And so it's the absolute linchpin of everything in your paper. Uh, it's crucial that, that you have one, and it's crucial that you work to make it uh, as, uh, as good as it can possibly be. And so to that end, I want to just note three characteristics of your thesis. Uh, it should be an argumentative thesis. In other words, you are making a claim that you are going to justify and support with reasons. Uh, so it's not just an opinion that you're saying, I, I think this, but I don't really have any reasons for it. You're making a claim uh, and you're saying, Here, here are the here's the basic ways that I'm going to show uh, that this is actually true, that this is what 
what we should believe. Uh, it is a normative thesis. And what I mean by that is, it's not just about what is, but it's about what should be. How should we think, act, live? Uh, and so certainly much of what you're engaging may reflect on how we actually do live. Uh, but you're, you know, the, the question is not, do Kuiper College students swear? But should Kuiper College students swear? And, and, how is that, and how is that different if somebody says, well, you're, you know, that's the, this verse says you shouldn't do that. or this. How, how do you make that case? That's, that's, what, that's what you're doing. Um, and it is a worldview thesis. In other words, by that I mean there's some kind of an appeal to biblical theological rationale when you support this that it, it, it actually, and again, it, it, the focus is on this is how Christians should think, act, and live. So there may be parts of this rationale that would not appeal to people who are not Christians. Uh, and so as we think through this, through um, you know, what kind of sources you're using, what kind of conversation partners you have, this is why it's important that at least some of them are trying to think through your topic. They're trying to think through, through it argumentatively and normatively from a Christian perspective. What, it is, what is it about our Christian faith that contributes to us saying, yeah, this is how we should think, act, uh, or live. Uh, your thesis should be three things. should be as precise as possible. Uh, in other words, not vague. Try to be as, as specific uh, when you're saying um, what, what you're arguing for as you can. And I think this first one, being precise or being specific, uh, is probably one of the most crucial ones. Uh, and it's one that, again, if I push you on this, it's probably the one I have to push people on the most. Be as specific as possible about what you're, you're saying uh, or what you're claiming. Uh, it should be something that actually is arguable. In other words, it has to be something you make a case on. Um, right, to take an extreme example, if somebody just said, you know, I think tacos are the greatest food in the world, well, that's a very, it's, uh, right? <laughs> it's like, I can't argue with that, right, because you're saying this is what I think, this is what I like, and uh, I mean, it's not even arguable. So it has to be something that you can present reasons for and against. That's what I mean by arguable. Um, it, it, so it can't just be opinion. Uh, it has to be something that you can actually stake a claim on and, uh, and go that way. And then supportable, closely related to that is, it has to be something you can actually list reasons for support and say, here's why uh, this is something that we should, should think, how we should act, how we should live. Uh, it should also be, and th this is tricky because I recognize we're dealing with some pretty uh, big topics for these papers. But again, I understand and you understand that these are, I'm expecting you to deal with these topics in a way that you can deal with in a upper level undergraduate class, a paper of about 10, ballpark 10 pages. So even though a lot of your topics are topics that people could write a dissertation on, could write a book on, I'm not expecting you to do that. But just even as you think through what you're articulating, uh, you don't want it to be too narrow or too broad. 
if if it's too narrow, you're going to run out of you're going to run out of um, material to talk about. If it's too broad, uh, you're going to talk too much. Um, and again, what I would encourage you with again with most of your topics, these are topics that um, there is a lot of information on. So it, it, if you do your research, if you take notes well, if you put that together well, you should not be struggling to come up with 10 to 12 pages. The challenge should be actually narrowing that down and clarifying and getting the key points in as clearly and concisely as, as you can. And so as you think about your own thesis statement, uh, just ask yourself, what evidence would I need to see to believe that this is true? So if, if somebody makes this claim, the question that you have to keep asking yourself is, okay, what, what are the steps that would need to be taken to really spell out, yes, this is true? This, this thesis statement is, uh, is true. So just to give us a couple examples of different thesis statements, and I think we can all assume that if the professor shows them up here, they're probably going to be bad examples. Um, why, are these, why are these bad thesis statements? Christians need to respond biblically to the immigration crisis. Okay. What is biblically? Who are Christians? Uh, yeah, I think the key... And so part of the problem here is, again, this is probably the number one problem. It's too vague. It's not precise enough. What does biblically mean? Every Christian is going to say, I'm, I have the biblical view. Um, what is the immigration crisis? If it's not defined, uh, it's pretty nebulous. Again, depending politically what side of the political aisle you're on, you might describe immigration crisis very differently. Um, how would you make this a better thesis statement? You can just change it to maybe something like Christians should function from a biblical perspective. But even that still, like you'd have to explain that. What that even means. Yeah. Yeah, I think that you would because it would still be in some ways so vague that it's not really arguable. Or you, you would, it's only when somebody spells out their argument that you would understand what do they mean by biblical. And so one way I think about this is, is um, maybe just to talk, you could still talk about immigration generally, but you could say the biblical response to immigration is, and now you're going to get people arguing both sides. right? Because you're not just saying Christians should hold the biblical view. Everybody's going to say that. As soon as you say, here's what the Bible actually teaches about this, that's where you're going to start to get into questions of, does the Bible teach that? Why? What's your support on both sides? And, and we'll take you further that way. Yeah, Jesse? I was thinking like a different way of phrasing it. Like, Christians, uh, as Christians, we need to either, like, support or reject, like, X policy. Yeah. Then biblical whatever underneath. Yeah. Or afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, that would, be, that would be another way to do it, too, to, to make it less about you're either front-loading, here's what the Bible teaches, or you're front-loading, here's the specific policy that should be accepted or rejected, and why. And, and I think, you know, and I would argue you could trace that, too, what the Bible says about this. Um, but, yeah, that, that especially, um, I think, helps to clarify either way you went with that. 
the proliferation of firearms throughout the U.S. is a real problem. <laughs> I had fun writing these. <laughs> How vague can you go? Okay. Yeah. Um, like what? Pro pro life? The pro pro life ration? <laughs> the pro life ration of firearms? Yes, pro life, Second Amendment. Uh, it all comes together right there. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, proliferation, the spread of firearms. What, what does that even mean? A lot of people have guns. That's right. It's like, yeah. Again, this 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 is so vague. Yeah, so vague that it, uh, in a lot of ways, doesn't really help us. Or or it says it's a real, it's a real problem. What is that right? What's the like in contrast to a fake problem? Yeah, it's uh, it's just not very well worded. And so if you want to talk about guns or whether people should have guns or who should have guns or how many people should have guns or differentiation between different kind of guns. Um, there, there are much, much more precise ways that you would have to phrase it. Uh, Christians should treat members of the LGBT community with equality. Okay, yeah, that, that's the central, I think, that's the central issue with this is that uh, equality means different things to different people. Are you talking about equality in what way? Equality before the law? Equality in terms of discrimination in jobs, housing? Um, and so to spell that out more clearly is going to make your argument uh, much, much stronger. And to be clear about what you mean by equality or not. Yeah? And you're like totally separating Christians from the LGBT community. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it makes them sound like two separate groups when, in fact, they're mostly overlapping groups. Um, and so, here's another one. The history of war shows us that the just war theory is nearly impossible to uphold. The history of war shows us the just war theory is nearly impossible to uphold. Those idiots over there that hold that theory can't believe they hold that. It's impossible. Is this about what should be or about what is? It's about what is. Nothing about what should be. So it's like, it's really hard to do this. Okay. <laughs> right? That may be factually true, but it doesn't necessarily. And so this one especially is more of a historical thesis than a normative thesis. Right? This shows us something about the history of just war theory. A lot of people have held it but not a lot of people have followed it. Well, that doesn't tell, it, tell us about whether it's something you should hold or not. Just because it's almost impossible to do doesn't, doesn't really tell us whether it's good or bad or not or why. Um, it might raise questions about if this is a theory everybody holds but nobody follows it. What does that mean? Um, art is a fascinating topic that displays humanity's endless creativity. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, exactly. There's, it, it's vague. It's more a statement of what is. Um, it's not really normative. It's a, bit 
It's fascinating. It's just a crazy <laughs> way to say interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I find it fascinating. I find it fascinating that people use fascinating in quite a broad way of ways. Um, another one's Christians need to address issues of mental health. Okay, yeah. How, which ones? Why? Um, need to address. Again, it's one of those things like everybody would agree. I, I don't think it's arguable. Yeah, we need to address it. How? Some people would say, well, by dismissing it or reducing it all to spiritual problems. Right? Or other people would say, yeah, how do you do this through therapy? How so the controversial, to make this arguable, one easy way would just be to say Christians need to address issues of mental health by... How? Talking about, it more. Talking about it more, right? And then you're going to, uh, part of that will get into um, actually making claims that are arguable and that you will have some disagreement on. Um, last thing, planting an essay or objections. Planting objections in your paper. Why would somebody hesitate to uh, plant an objection, maybe even to one of their major points? Okay. Okay. Yeah, good. What else? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right that it's connected to intellectual courage. It's connected to intellectual fair-mindedness, to intellectual humility. Uh, and you know, one of the interesting things, though, I, I do think, yeah, we hesitate to do this because we're like, wow, that is actually a pretty good point against what I'm trying to argue. Um, I, I think this is a key mark of intellectual growth because you recognize there are strong points against anything you try to argue. Right? Much as you know, Facebook or other mediums might lead us to discount any other viewpoints, it's like there are probably good perspectives on the other side of the discussion. And I think your argument looks stronger and you actually look more credible as a scholar if you acknowledge other arguments, if you acknowledge strong points against you. Um, and I actually have a point of disagreement. I, I think in this book, if I remember right, um, they say, if you don't know how to respond to something, don't include it in your paper. I actually would rather you go the opposite way. I would rather say, here's a strong argument, and at this point, right, winter semester 2020, I, I, it, it doesn't dissuade me from my overall point, but I don't know really how to respond to this. Like, this is a really good point that uh, anybody who thinks differently has to at least take into account. I think that makes you look more credible as a scholar than to say, I will only include naysayers that I can feel like I can fully rebut. Yeah, how'd you? what he was saying 
Yeah. And, um, I mean, it, it needed, like, intellectual purchase and, and things like that, but I think we sometimes just don't understand what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. That's where we need good, good phrases like, uh, Scholar X seems to be saying... So you can just come back and be like, well, that's not what they said. Well, I said they seem to be saying that, but maybe they said something different. Uh, all right, we'll stop there for today. Have a good spring break, and I'll see you back here in 12 days.